0: What it meant to be sort of innovative 16 years ago, uh, it just every year, if you wanted to continue to be innovative, you had to just keep rapidly a- adapting and experimenting with new things. So.
1: Yeah. Well, welcome to Preacher Lab for preachers just like you and I. Today, I have the honor and the privilege of of meeting and talking with Matt Miofsky, a uh, pastor of the Gathering Church in St. Louis. Matt? It's so good to have you on The Preacher Lab. Yeah, thanks, Will. I'm honored to be here. So we're going to jump straight into it. Um, what are you preaching on this week? Uh, where are you headed?
0: Yeah, good. Well, you know, I, I think the the month of January is always a really important month, at least in our church. It's the highest attendant month of our church, typically uh, coming out of Christmas. So I, before I'll get to what I'm preaching on this week, but I always try to, you know, think of something in January that'll have really broad appeal, especially to the kind of people that may be coming to church on Christmas Eve who are, you know, maybe don't normally come, maybe they're being, Dragged there because of somebody that wants them to be there, or maybe they're just trying it out. So you know, we we try to pick something that we think a lot of people will be facing in the new year that Scripture talks about. So we're in a series called "Loving People You Don't Like." Uh, I think right now, especially things are so weird in our world and culture, and we're divided up not just with people on. You know, politically or on Facebook or whatever, but also just sometimes in our own family and our own friends, it's hard because we have differences and we don't really know how to deal with people that are starting to frustrate us or anger us or annoy us. So that's the series we're in. And we started it last weekend. So... Uh, this week is part two of that series. I started last week with preaching about kind of the uh, the imago Dei as a image of God as like a principle, uh, bedrock principle that kind of informs how we view other people. And then today, in uh, this week, I'm talking about uh, speaking the truth with love, the Ephesians uh, encouragement from Paul to. What does it mean to be both truthful and loving when we deal with people, especially people that uh, maybe we disagree with or find it hard to be in a relationship with? So uh, that's where we're headed this weekend.
1: That's a a, a pretty easy topic, I think. (laughs) Well,
0: you know, it's it's interesting if you actually kind of get into that passage, you know, this is in, in Ephesians 4 and... You know when you when you get into it, Paul. Is, you know Paul is no stranger, of course, to having to deal with a lot of people that disagreed with him. Sometimes wanted to harm him. Sometimes just thought he was wrong. Paul, we see him through Scripture do this well sometimes and do it poorly, like dealing with people that he disagrees with. But you know it's it's an interesting scripture. I mean, essentially he says, "Hey, we have to be careful." Not to get tossed around by people that we disagree with, you know, tossed to and fro. But we have to kind of grow up and mature and learn to speak the truth in love. And I, I love that because so often I think, you know, what I'm going to talk about is I think we as um, Christians so often are good at one or the other. You know, we we're either like really loving, but we think somehow being loving means we have to be polite and nice, and not, and we have trouble. Kind of being straightforward and honest, and on the flip side, I know people who are great at telling the truth. Uh, they just don't do it with a lot of love, and so people can't really hear it. And so th- that the scripture really does kind of lay out nicely in a way that I think is almost immediately relevant. And so I'm just kind of letting the scripture shape the sermon in this case and, and talking about it.
1: How do you? I'm imagining that as you introduce this, um, it can be kind of. It can create this defensiveness in people very quickly. How how do you how do you want to like disarm people quickly about this so they are able to hear it? Because it seems like if, I, if I'm hearing, I have to love my enemies or whatnot. No, yeah. I'm not doing that. How do you how do you go through that quickly in a sermon?
0: Yeah, I mean, so I started off last week by saying, you know, love your enemies. This is probably in my mind. And I don't say this lightly. Maybe the hardest thing Jesus tells us to do. And so, like, let, let's just recognize that it, love is a really strong word. Enemy is a really strong word. Putting them together seems impossible. So let's just—we're uh, going to get to that over the four weeks. But right now, I just want you, to, like, let's uh, let's back up and let's just think about how do we how do we deal with. Uh, or or learn to be in relationship in a more Christ-like way with people that we really disagree with, annoy us, frustrate us. And so it's sort of like, we're going to get to the love your enemy, but let's like back it up a little bit because people have, you know, love is such a weird word in the English language. You know, we use the same word to describe like Chick-fil-A or our spouse. You know, it's weird. (laughs) I love Chick-fil-A. I love my spouse. I mean, the word is used in so many weird ways uh, that, uh, we have to kind of define what kind of love are we talking about? And then enemy is not really a word. I think most of us use to describe personal relationships. You know, we may think of it in terms of, I don't know, conflict or warfare, or terrorism or something, but we don't, we don't usually use that word to describe a person. And so it, it we have to kind of define love and sort of let's get at what did Jesus mean when he said enemy uh because we don't really think of people that way and so i think to it, to the short answer to your question is how do we how, how do we recognize with people and for people okay i get this is kind of extreme and hard and you might be saying well, I mean what in the world is this about so let's kind of deal with that first and 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 then we'll move into how we do it
1: yeah so really, slowing us down a little bit mm-hmm. and saying, "Okay, what do these words mean? What do they say to us? And and how do how do they what do they mean to us now?" It's really just kind of slowing us down. Yeah, yeah, and I think maybe the the
0: the principle behind it, Will, is I always try to anticipate where people might have objections or skepticism about my message, and try my best to name it, uh, mm. preemptively name it. And say like, yeah, I kind of wrestle with that too. So let's kind of deal with that. So regardless of how you deal with it, I think the important part is that you sort of recognize with and for people like, hey, if you're looking at this and scratching your head or getting a little defensive, you're not the only one. I'm kind of there with you. Yeah. And let's sort of deal with that together rather than like, I'm so confident. You got to love your enemies. What Jesus tells us to do. And, you know, and, and not giving any space for people to say, whoa, wait a minute, that sounds weird or extreme.
1: Yeah. 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 So you're, you're kind of recognizing you're in that same boat, which thing allows you to connect with the people who are listening to you of, Hey, you know, I, I struggle with it too. Yeah. And and it's one of the easiest strategies, actually,
0: I think to use in preaching, you know, preachers so often get defensive or feel like we have to make this case to persuade people to see something differently. And, and, but, but oftentimes we forget that first step of just sort of connecting with them and helping them to know, like, we're, we're also human. Uh, we also have doubts. I I also have skepticism. I had to kind of come along in my own understanding of this. And so let's kind of do that together instead of sort of like, you're there, I'm here. Let me tell you the, the way to believe. And then if you don't believe it, let me just try to hammer it home a little bit more. Uh, you know, we, we sort of meet them where they are and kind of bring them along with us. Yeah. You're on a, you're on a journey together. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So let me, if we think, if I think about preaching for you and kind of working on these series, um, what does that process look like of looking at January or February or March? What does that look like for you?
0: Yeah. Well,
1: uh r-
0: Kind of go through it really quickly. you
1: know i'm I'm at a
0: church where i'm I'm lucky enough to have other pastors on our staff. We have three physical sites and an online site. so we have site pastors over all of those. So twice a year, I have a whole day dedicated to uh, so, sort of looking ahead and trying to figure out where do we want to go with the preaching in the preaching life of the church. And usually we're working out like right now I have our series planned out roughly through the summer and we need to do next fall and the beginning of next year. And so pretty quickly here in the next month, we'll have one of these days away to work on the end of 2022 beginning of 2023. So first of all, we're working out pretty far ahead and we come into that day that brainstorming day kind of with a lot of information sort of what have we been preaching about the last few years? What's missing? Where do we think God is challenging us or calling us to what's God calling us to talk about what's bubbling up from people? What are people dealing with? What are we hearing in small groups? What What, what do we think is relevant to sort of the world right now? Um, And then we sort of balance different kinds of series. You know, are we going to tackle a book of the Bible? Maybe this is a theological idea. Maybe this is a, you know, something that has more to do with practice or how we live as Christians. And we kind of throw all that out there. And then what I I say is I invite the pastors and uh, I say, each of you come prepared to sort of pitch two series ideas that you think are really important for our congregation right now. And so it's sort of like a shark tank for sermon series. I mean, we sit there and it's it. like somebody pitches two series, tells us like, why is this important? Why would people care? How is it biblical? And then like, what would we talk about? And they do this and we just sort of ask questions, kind of poke around at it. And by the end of that process, We'll have 10, 12 ideas out on the table. And, and usually things start emerging. Like, man, there's a lot of energy around this and this and this. And, and then I'll take that after that day and I'll sort of work with it. Sometimes there's holes or things that we're missing or you know, we're, we, we've done three New Testament things. We need to get into the Old Testament. And I try to balance it out. And then I start working up, like, what would this look like? What would a synopsis look like? Why would it matter to the hearer? What's an outline? What would an outline look like for this series? What would we talk about? And and the closer we get to the beginning of a series, the more fleshed out that is. So that before we launch a series, we would have that kind of stuff. We have a creative process. So at some point, a couple months out, creative team will want to know, like, tell me what, what this is so we can figure out a good name for it and maybe an image or a, a promotion video or something like that. So we, but regardless, even if you don't do all those things, I think for me, the advantage is working out ahead. And I'll say really quickly, um, you know, working out ahead is is great because first of all, it allows me to be collecting information. Like I'll read little articles or news clippings or see something and knowing like, oh, you know what? In January, I'm going to be preaching about how we deal with people that we that frustrate us, I kind of can tuck that stuff away so I don't have to do it all right when the series starts. And we've always found that series still give us enough flexibility uh, to respond to the moment. So, you know, sometimes in six months, what we thought we were going to preach in September doesn't quite seem right now, or something's happened in the world that demands something different. And it's easy enough to kind of swap some things around, but planning, uh I've always thought planning actually makes it easier to be spontaneous, not harder. So uh yeah, that that's a that's a little bit about kind of how we do that.
1: Gosh, I love it seems like you really have to do your work ahead of time so that all these other pieces can be in line. Um yeah. But I love I love the Shark Tank idea. I'm <laughs> I'm stealing that for sure. Uh because it just it seems like it creates this kind of energy of like. Somebody comes up with an idea, and you're like, "Oh, that reminds me of this idea or this thing that I read." And then yeah. it's you can you know which ones kind of have that spark, and you know which ones are like, "No, maybe that idea is for a later time." Yeah,
0: yeah, oh, that's good. for sure. It's it's amazing what you can get to if you just throw it out there and let's let's kind of talk about it some. Yeah,
1: yeah. All right. So this week you've got the part two. What is so? We've already gone through kind of. You've got your ideas, and the next. You know the whole yeah. all the weeks in the series. What does this particular week look like? So we're recording this on Wednesday. What yeah. does this week look like? of actually writing it.
0: Yeah. So you know that that theme of working ahead is something we carry throughout. So uh, this has changed for me over the years. So as I say this, I don't, if you're a newer preacher, you, you, uh, don't you know, don't react too strongly. But I, I've I've been in that place where. You know, I, I pastored a church by myself and I, and I was, um, meeting with people, hospital visits, funeral, wedding, things come up, dealing with ministry, going to meetings. And all of a sudden Friday gets here and you're like, ah, I meant to start earlier, but I didn't. Uh, Or if we're realistic, Saturday gets here sometimes. And we're like, (laughs) I should have started this earlier, but I didn't. And so Saturday night, Saturday, we're stressed out. It's hanging over our head. We're trying to figure it out. We write it and preach it Sunday morning. So uh, early on in my ministry, I, I wanted to not fall into that. Not just because I didn't want to write a sermon that late in the week, but I found personally, and this is maybe just me, That sermon hanging over my head made it really hard for me to ever really be present in anything else I was doing until the sermon was done. So like I could have a day off, but if my sermon wasn't done yet, it didn't feel like a day off to me. Mm -hmm. I had that kind of germinating and I was always thinking about it. And, you know, Saturday could get here. And in my case, I have three kids. You know, if I wanted to go hang out with my kids and enjoy them, But I didn't have the sermon all the way done. It was sitting there in my head and I found it really difficult to be present with my family or with whatever I was doing. So that for me was really hard. So this has evolved over time, but I'll tell you what I do now. You know, what we do now, and this was true pre-pandemic as well. So this was prior to the pandemic. Um. I, I, one of the first iterations I made is I wanted to receive feedback about my preaching. And I think there are some pastors that do this. Uh, As an aside, I would always tell pastors, you know, getting feedback from your congregants uh, often, weekly, monthly, every series is so important. So many of us do these little things that are so easy to address and fix if we just allow someone to, to tell us. But if we don't ever receive feedback or allow people to give us honest feedback, we can go 10, 20, 30 years doing something yeah. that is annoying or gets in the way of people hearing or sort of a tick that we never knew we had. Yeah. And we never give space for people to tell us. And because people in church are so often fake, nice, and polite, they they won't tell you And so unless you ask them. So... Uh, years ago, I started asking people a a kind of a trusted group that I knew loved me and loved the church. You know, after I'd preach on Monday or Tuesday, Hey, let me know. How how did that go? What could I have done better? What'd you hear? And they were good at it. And will I pretty soon started realizing, boy, it'd be, that would have been great to know before I preached the sermon. (laughs) Not, you know, I mean, the sermon's (laughs) over now. It's helpful, but gosh, I wish I would have heard that before. So, Uh, it's probably been six, seven years ago, I started doing this, what I do now. So what I do now is I dedicate uh, really Tuesday afternoon and Wednesday to to really researching and writing the message. Wednesday, uh, so earlier this afternoon, we're, we're recording this on Wednesday, earlier this afternoon, Wednesdays at two, I preview the message to a small group that consists in my case of some staff and some lay people about six or seven, sometimes eight people. And I I love to say there, I try to get like a cross-section, different kinds of people, different experiences of church. Like I I like the opinions of quote, normal people. I don't need, you know, four (laughs) other pastors. I need like, you know, normal people. And, you know, men, women, older, younger, what, what'd you hear? And, and I basically, I preach the message on Zoom like this. And I say, I ask two questions, kind of what resonated with you, what really worked, what came through, and what could make it stronger or better or what was missing? And really just kind of two broad questions. And they give me feedback. And I had to demonstrate really early on that, you know, I want you to be honest, give, give tell me what you think. And, Uh, again, as sort of a a little bit of side commentary, you know, in the beginning, I never, you know, I did this and I never wanted to do it. I mean, I never, I never wanted to hear anything except, man, that was really an incredible message. You know, God's with you, go preach it. You got this, but I really encourage them. Don't do that. Like I I need to hear. So we do that. It takes about an hour. I do that from two to three o'clock. And then I let the message, I call it kind of let it rest or let it bake or just set it aside. I write that feedback down. Uh, I wake up Thursday morning and I sort of incorporate that feedback and, and, and make final edits to the message. And then Thursdays, around lunchtime, about 11 o'clock, I record the message to an empty sanctuary. And these days, that message goes online and we use it at some of our sites. Sometimes we'll have a site that's on video. And so by Thursday afternoon, my message is written, previewed, edited, and recorded. And it's not only changed my preaching and made it much, much better actually, but it's changed me. I suddenly, when I get to the weekend, it's not hanging over my head. It's, it's done. And I can, and I can be comfortable with it. So that gives you a sense of what my week looks
1: like. Yeah. So when you think about these feedback groups, um, What is one thing they've picked on for you? If I ask this, I'll ask a deeper question. What's that one thing that you're like, yeah, I did this early on, but they reminded me, oh, this is is how I've changed.
0: Yeah. I'll say a couple things they've helped me with over the years. And this is still true today. Almost always... Uh, the biggest piece of feedback is, okay, you're saying a lot, but this is the thing I think you're really wanting to say. This is the powerful thing in the sermon. And so I always say most of the time, the feedback clarifies. Okay, this stuff, this story, that example, this scripture, this little side tangent, all that stuff eh, might've been interesting, maybe not, but it kind of got in the way of, of this. This is really what the message needs to say. And for me, at least, sometimes it takes me writing and preaching before I realize, you know, I think that's really the message. That's really the sermon. That line right there is really the sermon. And then I can go back and I can sort of declutter the sermon or, you know, uh, weed out all the extraneous stuff and better focus in on that one thing. I would say, honestly, Will, 80% of the time, that's what the feedback Does for me Mm -hmm. is just helps me see what's the what's the sermon really want to say? What's God trying to say through this? And what are all the things that aren't really helping that? And I think probably that I'm not alone in that. I think most pastors that I hear, it's not that they preach a bad message, but but they oftentimes uh, have a lot in there that doesn't need to be in there, Mm -hmm. and it gets in the way of the main things sort of shining, Uh, and so. Uh, a lot of times that's really, that's really what it is. Um, uh, some other little things can be, they're not little if you don't address them, but you know, I'm who I am and different people come with their own perspectives. And sometimes I'll say something that in my mind seems fine, but they'll say, Hey, just kind of a yellow light here, a red flag there. Like you said this, but I'm not sure if you meant to say it this way or that might be heard a little differently by this person or this person. And for me, it's like, Oh, I, I, I didn't see that. I didn't notice it. That is so, so helpful. So, you know, I'm married. And so maybe I'll use an example, a lot of examples about, you know, being married with kids. Hey, what about single people? Or, you know, I'm a guy, what about women? I'm, you know, so just any of that kind of stuff, they're super helpful in just, hey, kind of yellow light, did you really intend to say it that way? Uh, that saves me a lot. I know all of us, if you do this weekly, you can't help but say things sometimes that you're like, oh, why, I, I didn't mean to say it that way or that's not, that's not what I intended people to hear. And this just helps as a filter for some of that stuff. I think the last thing I'll name that they've helped me over the years with is, if you've gone to seminary, uh, we tend early in our preaching, I think, to be to put a lot of time into exegesis, biblical study, pulling out all these interesting tidbits, throwing in a Greek word, and we we kind of get to the application, and we maybe don't. That's not as robust as all that other stuff that we learned in seminary. And over the years, the group has really helped me to. Hey, I mean, certainly teach us something. Don't water this down. But let's like, hey, that's plenty on the exegesis part. Tell us what that means, or how to apply it, or what does this actually look like in our life? And that's another helpful place that they often will push me.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you said you pick normal people, so yeah, yeah. That's great. What? Yeah. So how did you? I guess when I think about those people, it's not just it's people you trust, obviously, to give you that yeah. honest feedback. How did you figure out the right number, the right type of people? Was it experimental at first? Yeah, yeah, pretty experimental. I mean,
0: I, I invited a couple people from our staff. Like I said, a couple people in the congregation that loved me, loved the church, w- would only share things because they're trying to make it all better. Not you know, not having an extra grind or wanting to critique for the sake of just critiquing. So you know, picking those people. Uh, trying to pick a little bit of a representative group, some people that look different than me. Uh, And then we did that for a while. What I realized is over time, I learned how these four or five people (laughs) were going to hear me. And I could almost start predicting, you know, Will's going to say this, so-and-so is going (laughs) to say that. And so I realized I got to change this up. And so now... I don't necessarily do it every series, but probably every couple of series. Some people rotate off. I'll invite a couple new people on, and that does a couple of things. It gives me some fresh perspective over time. Uh, if somebody's not that helpful, it kind of moves them along. At some <laughs> point, they're not on there forever. Uh, but ultimately, it just helps the experiences stay fresh for me because over time, you know, you're you're going to learn what these four or five people think, and while they're helpful, there's also other perspectives. So I, I try to switch it up every four or
1: five months. Yeah. Yeah. I oh, mean, that's really help. that's That's so helpful just to think about it and, and Really
0: quickly, I also say, I know for some people they say, I mean, when I share this sometimes in a workshop or something, people say, well, that sounds great. If I had, you know, two and a half days to dedicate to the sermon, I would do it, but I don't. I'm, you know, I'm doing all the things at my church, so I don't have the luxury of doing that. And I'd say a couple things, First, you don't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily need to, I mean, it could be that whenever you work on your sermon, I don't know when that is. Let's, let's just say you work on it Wednesday morning for two hours or three hours. And that's when you do sermon writing, build in 30 minutes to just share it with some people. I mean, that part I think we could do. Um, And then oftentimes for me, even if I'm not going to do massive rewrites and I'll say that in seven, eight years of doing this, I can probably count on one hand the number of times when it was just a truly bad sermon <laughs> where people were like, "Uh, Matt, you got to write that thing over because it made no sense. I mean, most of the time there's something there and you just need some help unearthing it. So what I often say is, sharing it with that group actually accelerates the process for me. Because instead of sitting there with that writer's block, or man, I'm stuck on this part of the sermon, or I don't know the right story to tell here, or I don't know if this is making sense. And sometimes we procrastinate and Google around and sit with it for one, two, three hours. In 30 minutes, I can share it they can give me feedback. It helps clarify for me. And it actually accelerates the process. It doesn't, it doesn't drag it out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What if, uh, it's obviously, obviously, you have a passion for this and you, you love what you get to do. And it, it shows in the process you've created the craft of what Sundays look like. And just with, then when you do it, it shows that you love it. What about it is that, what makes it so important to you? Yeah. Well,
0: a few things. Um, I, I was shaped deeply by preaching. You know, when I didn't know it as a little kid in church, I was picking up every week, you know, this stuff. And I, I was shaped by it. And so it wasn't the only thing that shaped me, but it was a significant thing that shaped me. And so I, I know it's power to shape people. Or to hurt people. And so I take it seriously for that. Um, it, it's As the pastor of the church, it's also the time and place where I have the ability to speak to and impact the most people. And so as important as a hospital visit is, and don't, don't get me wrong, those are very important, that's oftentimes two, three, four hours to impact the life of one person. Worth it. Don't get me wrong, worth worth it. We have to tend to that kind of stuff as a church, but I have to also really tend to preaching because this is, this is that 10, 20, 30 minutes, however long you preach every week that you have the opportunity to speak to uh, the largest group of people that you'll get to speak to in a week most of the time. And we we ought to put the time and energy into it that's really commensurate with the kind of impact it's going to make. And so don't sling together something that's going to, you know, be the, the one time that you have an opportunity to impact the most people in, in a given week. And then the last thing I'll say, Will, and I think of this often is, you know, we're a church that is highly invitational. We want people to invite a friend we want to be a place that's really welcoming to people who maybe didn't see themselves as a person who might go to church. And I think about this all the time. That I have people that I know who say, Oh man, I have this friend. I've been trying to get him to come to the gathering, or I have the coworker. I told him about the series and stuff. And you know, and and then somebody will tell me um uh, on a Sunday morning, Matt, Matt, you won't believe it. That person that I invited, I've been inviting them for three years, they're coming today. Yeah. You know? And uh You know, you might think it's a down Sunday. You might think, oh, I didn't have the energy this week. But I always try to remember every Sunday, someone's friend finally said yes to the invitation. (laughs) Someone's friend was finally like, okay, I'll give this a try. And I want to bring the best parts of me to the moment that I can and honor the, the risk a, a person took in inviting, the courage somebody new to church or maybe burned by church before took in deciding to come. And I don't say that to beat people up. We all have hard weeks. We all have weeks where we, we just aren't feeling it. Uh, but I wanna bring my best, whatever that best is that week. I wanna make sure I bring my best because that's a week when somebody's friend said yes. And I might get one chance to, to talk to him. That friend is putting the reputation out there by inviting (laughs) to church. And so I, I just think about that a lot. And for me, it's not something that puts massive pressure on me anymore. Uh, but it is something that says, you know, Matt, this is important. Even this week, it's important. Even in a week that you might think is just another Sunday, uh, it's not another Sunday for that person. So yeah. that's yeah. just something I think about.
1: Yeah. They got, out of, they, they got out of bed. They put on their clothes. They got their kids ready. They took a shower. Yeah. They got in their car. They drove or they just got up and turned on the computer. They can do anything else, yeah. but they're here yeah. and, and you have that 20, 30 minute window to speak. Yeah. yeah. Oh mm. gosh. That's good. That's really good. All right. Um, I guess I've got one more question for you. Um, when you think about the last six months or the last year or two years, um, obviously things have been crazy, changing, shifting, uh, having to be innovative and innovative for innovative sake, and it just seems like things are really. It's taken a lot of, of time, of energy. What What has kept you through preaching every week um, over the last six months, year, two year? Yeah. Well.
0: I, I would say a couple of things. I mean, I, I've had to s- stay connected to God in in more intentional ways, maybe even than in the past, because it's been easy for me to drift during this time. It's just hard. Uh, and second thing is I think being honest with ourselves about whatever we're feeling in different seasons and uh, it, you know, it's okay. I just tell pastors all the time, like if it feels really hard and you feel uninspired and you're not sure if you can do it, uh, you're not alone in that. And there's, there's not shame in that. There's not uh, embarrassed. You don't have to be embarrassed about it or try to ignore it, but you got to name it and kind of have some people in your life. Maybe that you can talk to about it. And, uh, God willing, maybe a good therapist or something to work through it. Like we, we need support to get through seasons like this. I mean, we don't, we're not supposed to be able to do it alone and we shouldn't try to. And so, you know, don't be, don't be embarrassed. Um, a third thing to remember that they are seasons and, and the longer I've done this, Will, um, The the, the more I've recognized this, and the better I've got at realizing that there are just going to be seasons in ministry, but especially in preaching. Uh, And I'm kind of a sport; I like to play sports and stuff. So I think about baseball. You know, baseball is a long season. Anybody watches baseball, and you know, batting average isn't made in a in a day or a week. But I mean, it's it's made over a long you know a long season and. You know, hitters. if you ever watch baseball, I mean, they go into slumps sometimes and those slumps can last a week. They can last a month. I, there's hitters that have had slumps for seasons, entire months or sometimes years, but, but they pull out, you know, you know, any, a hitter has to just keep going up to the plate and swinging the bat. And I think about that in terms of preaching that I will hit those seasons. And over the course of my 20 years in ministry, sometimes the seasons a week or two, Sometimes there's been a season where I'll go a month or two not really being satisfied with the sermon. I've had I've had a year, <laughs> years where it's like this was not my best year of preaching. <laughs> I just I I you know, I just rarely felt like I was really hitting it out of the park. Um but uh, but, but those seasons and the seasons of our spirit that they they come but then we, we pull out of them. And, and I've learned, at least for myself, what it takes to walk through those seasons and how I can begin to maybe emerge from them. And I can't always control the timing of it, but it always it, it always does happen. And so I think now I'm, I, I still hit those slumps sometimes, but I think I, I, I expect it. I'm a little bit better at knowing what kind of support I need when I'm in it. I'm a little bit more confident that, you know, even if it seems like I've suddenly just preached, you know, two months worth of sermons that don't seem very good, like I'm going to, I'm going to get there. Yeah. So that's a third thing. is just recognizing that this is ministry. You're not going to, you know, you're not gonna feel great about it all the time and, and, and you're not supposed to. Yeah. And, and the last thing I'll name is I try to stay really in touch with new people to the church mm-hmm. and and how people's lives, what God, what is God doing in their lives? And sometimes we have to work really hard to get ourselves around new people or people whose lives are really being changed. But I try to, you know, not don't neglect celebrating all sorts of little things, do it in your staff meeting, do it at your council meeting, every meeting that I'm in say, okay, guys, we're going to end with celebrations. Just where have we seen God at work? What are the little ways in which we we've seen, uh, the, those sparks of light or hope or or things that are are going right, and in some of the hardest seasons, ten minutes of of naming uh where where you 've seen god and and what's what 's worked or wh- what was that email you got this week that really lifted you up, Read it to the whole group because oftentimes we all contributed <laughs> to it, and uh just do that it 's just a discipline of mind. do it over and over and over again no, don 't neglect to do it
1: yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. In with celebrations. that That's just, yeah. that's really, really powerful yeah. to keep you kind of through it. That's just, that's, that's really insightful. Well, are there any other things I know? I mean, I feel like we could talk for a few hours about preaching, uh, but are there any things you'd want to leave preachers who are listening today and uh, any final thoughts?
0: Yeah. I mean, I would just encourage preachers, you know, learning to preach and preaching a good sermon and preaching well over time are all really different things. And a lot of us learned how to write a sermon. That's great, you need to do that. Uh, some of us who don't preach very often, we've gotten good at preaching a good sermon and that's awesome. But when you are when you get into that preaching every single week over time, it's a, just a different thing. And so learn from people who've done it. Uh, don't ever stop learning don't ever stop changing. Don't fall into these ruts or assume that the way you preach now is the way you always have to preach. I hear this all the time from preachers. You know, they'll say things like, well, I'm just a manuscript preacher. No. Well, I mean, can you learn to be anything other than that? Or is that just, you know, God ordained? Or, you know, I don't preach that way, or I, I don't talk about that kind of stuff, or I only do series, or I only do lectionary. And I know for me, at least, I've tried on all sorts of styles and ways of preaching. I write a manuscript, so I'm not criticizing that. I'm just saying I've, I've, I've learned over time. And sometimes I'll try a style of preaching or a series. Uh, that, you know, it doesn't quite feel like me, but I'm trying it because I'm stretching myself. And so d- don't fall into this rut of like, well, this is just who I am, this is how I preach. And and that's sort of like an excuse to not experiment or try or learn other styles. And And, and that's really where I would land it. I mean, just don't ever stop, Uh, taking the approach that I have something to learn about this craft, even though I've been doing it, even though I went to seminary, even though I'm in 20 years or 30 years, even though my church is, you know, 200 people or 300 or 3000 or whatever, like uh, the humility and a teachable spirit, you know, nothing bugs me more than to walk into that, you know, that preacher's office and I look up at their bookshelf and it's, you know, the, the, the books are their seminary books on preaching Mm -hmm. and, you know, they haven't gotten a new one since. (laughs) Yeah, And uh, don't be that person, you know, don't stop learning. And maybe books are now replaced by podcasts and other kinds of things, (laughs) but you get the point.
1: Yeah. Well, Matt, uh, thank you. Um, One more quick question. Um, Yeah. In the last six months, um, what's been a book that you've read that's just been on your heart? Uh, What's been one book that's just been really, really impactful to you?
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll name it for you. I, I've gotten so bad. I don't know if you're this way. When I read on my uh, like uh, iPad or Kindle, um, I never remember titles <laughs> yeah. because I never look at the front of the book. Do you ever do that? Uh, I listen to books, so oh,
1: yeah. I, I would have no idea.
0: Either way. Yeah. Okay. So uh, one that was really, I, I did a series back in the uh, fall on the book of Revelation. I realized I'd never really preached on Revelation. I mean, I'd pulled things here and there, but never really tried to tackle the book. It always seemed a little weird. And you know, that's not the kind of thing us Methodists do. And I really wanted to preach a series on it. And so I preached a series on the book of Revelation and I read a book called Discipleship on the Edge. And it's by a person named Daryl Johnson. It's sort of like a commentary, a preaching commentary on the book of Revelation, which I, I know as I say that sounds kind of dry and like boring, but it wasn't at all. I mean, I thought it was just incredibly hopeful for me as a personal in my personal journey, Um, It made revelation come alive to me in a way that I I don't think it had before. It gave me so many ideas for things to preach about and talk about. But most of all, it just, uh, it it spoke to my own growth as a disciple. And I just really loved it. And I know it sounds strange, but since we're talking about preaching, I used it to inform four or five weeks of preaching on revelation. And I I just thought it was great. I had my highlighter out and I, uh, oftentimes I just, go through books and read a little bit here or there to get what I need and move on. But this one, I just, I just kept going and, uh, it was just, it was really great for me. Uh, and then, yeah. So, so I would say that that is, that was one that I, you know, I really, I really commend to, to people. I thought it was, I thought it was great. And then the other one I'm going to look up, this is really, uh, different. I mean, not about preaching or anything, but, but, yeah. I read a book called Begin Again about James Baldwin. <laughs> and, and it's written by a a Princeton professor named Eddie Gloud Jr. And I'm I'm naming it because A, it's a it's a good book, but B, I try to read books that I realize like growing up and just there's all these like holes in my knowledge of things that yeah. I think like I should know more about that, but I don't. And yeah. I remember, I don't know when it was, a couple of years ago, like people, I started hearing people talk about James Baldwin, James Baldwin. If people don't know who that is, go go read about him. Yeah. But I realized like, you know, I kind of know who that is a little bit, but I don't really know anything about him. I'm going to pick up a book and it was a great book. It, it actually gave me some ideas around maybe what the church needed to be working on. But I try to think of books that kind of fill holes that yeah. I don't know anything about that. And I'll say the reason I think it connects to preaching is because if you don't just read one kind of book or books on church or leadership or you only read historical fiction or whatever, you know, filling these holes, uh, reading a lot of different kinds of things for me helps me preach to a lot of different kinds of people and draw from other interdisciplinary examples and, and all that. So it, it was really great for, for me in that yeah. regard.
1: I love the curiosity. Nobody's mentioned a yeah. commentary. So I, I love the curiosity. I mean, I, I think about the two books I'm in the middle of is Sam Adams, uh, the history of Sam Adams. And I, I don't know anything about Sam Adams, but I took a trip yeah. to Boston and I bought the book and I'm reading a book on antique pipes. I, yeah. I don't know anything about pipes, but it's fascinating. Yeah. So I think it's, I resonate with the curiosity of, oh, yeah, I, I don't know anything about James Baldwin. I heard of him, but I don't know much. And you just, you learn about it. And then that might lead you down another rabbit hole. And I just, oh, I love it. I love it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, uh, that's me. Um, and now I'm reading two very different kinds of books, very similar to you, just to kind of learn and, uh, yeah. So anyway. I love it. Well, Matt, thank you. Uh, uh, let me say to Will, yeah. th- thanks for having me on, but <laughs> just to all those preachers, I didn't say this before. I just want to encourage them as well. Uh, preaching is a hard thing, but I, every week, every weekend, you make a difference in the lives of people and you don't often get to hear that. Do anything you can to just remember it, to hear it, to be around people who where, where you get to see the impact of it. But... Uh, it can feel all the time like a slog, but I, I want to encourage you that uh, it makes a difference. What you do makes a difference. And so I just thank all the people who commit to it every single week. Um, I, 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 maybe I, I don't know if I'm a minority voice or not, but I go around, listen to preachers, and I think more preachers are actually good than not. And for them, they need encouragement and just keep keep growing, keep building. Uh, but I, I just want to say that, um, thanks to all the people who commit themselves to this work every week.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for joining me and, and just having this conversation and sharing your gifts, your wisdom, your process, and, and just sharing yourself. Yeah. So well, grateful. thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Will.